Hello, and welcome to the Don't Get Mad podcast. I am Andy. And I'm Steve. Here on the Don't Get Mad podcast, we attempt to have productive conversations about important, difficult topics. We don't pretend to be neutral, and I think uh, this particular cast is going to be evidence of that. But we also do commit to being reasonable, civil, and generally interested, genuinely interested, in refining our own ideas as well as influencing those of others, namely you in the expansive listening audience. We don't stoke outrage, we don't call people names, and we make a sincere attempt to understand people who see things differently than we do. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to discuss the recently leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion written by Justice Sam Alito that would overturn Roe v. Wade and allow state legislatures to regulate or even to ban abortions in their state. Before we start discussing the merits of that opinion, I'm going to briefly try to summarize what it actually says, and that's going to be a bit of a challenge. People spend their lives trying to sort this stuff out, and um, so it can get a little hairy at times. I'm not a legal scholar. I just play one on a podcast. <laughs> Tonight, we're legal scholars. But I think that's part of the point, is we're going to try to boil this down to a level that... Um, that most people can sort of get their heads around it, as we've attempted to do over the past couple of days. Here's the money quote from the new opinion. Uh, Alito writes in this new opinion, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That right there, that is the essence of the opinion. It's right up front. There was some speculation that the justices might find a way to uphold the Mississippi law without completely overturning Roe. It seems like many Supreme Court decisions do try to sort of thread a needle um, to not completely reject precedent, uh, but that's not the case here. This is uh, an important point for the pro-life movement. Those couple of sentences represent a major victory, and they are absolutely thrilling. They are just about the best outcome that a pro-lifer could have imagined for this decision. And of course, that also means it's the worst possible outcome that the pro-choice movement could have feared. So in this opinion, Alito argues two things. First, he argues that there is no right to an abortion in the Constitution. And secondly, he argues that stare decisis does not require upholding Roe or Casey or any part of those decisions. Uh, when he makes the case that there's no right to an abortion in the Constitution, the first part of that is easy. Of course, the word abortion is not in the Constitution anywhere. However, in the original Roe v. Wade decision, the court decided that a right to privacy, which had been established by the court in a prior case, included the right to choose an abortion. And there's Everyone agrees, and I didn't really understand this, everyone agrees that there is a basis in the Constitution, more specifically in the Bill of Rights, for finding rights that are protected for Americans, even if they're not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution. In the Ninth Amendment, uh, there's text that says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, the Ninth Amendment specifically says, just because we didn't list a right doesn't mean that the American people don't have it. This is not intended to be an exhaustive list. So in, a, in several cases before Roe, the Supreme Court found that there is such a thing as a right to privacy. Um, 
And Roe then decided that the right to privacy included a right to an abortion. Roe didn't exactly spell out uh, where the right to privacy was implied in the Constitution, but defenders of Roe most often locate the right to privacy in the 14th Amendment, which says, no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And defenders of Roe found that the right to privacy is contained in this concept of liberty. Uh, now, Alito specifically argues that that's not correct, and I agree with him. The standard the court has used in the past to identify a right implied in this clause is that any such right must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, end quote, implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. And Alito mentions those two requirements and cites a case that stated them. Uh, Alito then spends pages of this decision, and that's one of the reasons it ends up being a very long decision, wading through legal history showing that there is no deeply rooted tradition in America of a right to abortion. In fact, um, if anything, there's a deeply rooted tradition of abortion as a criminal activity. Uh, he says that most states started outlawing abortion by statute in the 1800s, and that by the end of the 1950s, all but four states in the District of Columbia made abortion a crime, except in cases where the life of the mother is at stake. Furthermore, Alito makes the case that even before the 1800s, abortion was implicitly a crime based on common law. And to establish that tradition, he then delves into British law traditions, whence came our own American tradition. So his argument definitely gets into the weeds a little bit, uh, but what he's trying to show is that there you is should no say swamp, Andy. It gets the swamp. into the swamp. It does. Uh, but all he's trying to do is show that there is no basis for concluding that abortion was a traditional American right. Uh, so he first argues that abortion is not a right found in the Constitution, and then he argues that it's okay to overturn it, that stare decisis should not prevent us from overturning it. And his argument for that, uh, or his strongest argument for that, is that he first points out that, quote, some of our most important constitutional decisions have overruled prior precedents. And Alito names three prime examples, Brown versus Board of Education overturned the separate but equal doctrine. And he names a couple of, a couple of other less famous cases. Um, and then he lists a footnote uh, that goes on for multiple pages, including tens, maybe a hundred cases where the Constitution, sorry, where the Supreme Court has overruled prior precedent. So he just shows that we've Just a couple pages? Just several a, pages? Well, uh, of... How many footnotes did he include in this thing? Right. I mean, overall, he has pages and pages of footnotes, but that particular footnote, that one footnote, I think, spans two or three pages. Um, and uh, then he gives a bunch of other reasons why it's actually necessary to overrule Roe. Uh, and I'll just give one quote. He quoted another justice, Justice White, who said in some decision somewhere... 
this quote decisions that find it, oh do you know where this <laughs> no I, I remember reading it okay uh, but yeah i love that it found it some justice somewhere Go ahead. well quote i know the name of the justice it's justice white yeah and he I, don't, says, I don't remember where it was either so. he says quote decisions that find in the constitution principles or values that cannot be fairly read into that document usurp the people's authority for such decisions represent choices that the people have never made and that they cannot disavow through correct corrective legislation for this reason it is essential that this court maintain the power to restore authority to its proper possessors by correcting constitutional decisions that on reconsideration are found to be mistaken so two things alito spends 60 pages establishing there is no right to abortion in the constitution and we are perfectly within our rights. We are even obligated to put aside stare decisis and overturn Roe v. Wade. And uh, I think it's an excellent, powerful, overwhelming, almost airtight argument. Um, Steve is less impressed with it, I believe. You hear that? That's the air coming out of the balloon. I just popped that balloon with a big old pin. Uh, but he settled it pretty clearly. Here, here's the deal. You ready? Ready. You, you buckled up. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wish I had been able to do that more succinctly, but uh, hopefully it'll become more and more clear as we go on. Okay, go ahead. Well, for everybody who's all all four and a half people who are listening to the podcast, um, no, it's got to be at least twelve now, right? Uh, got to be. We got at least twelve, don't we? Well, did uh, did you get your wife to download it this time? Oh, crud. I knew there was somebody I forgot. <laughs> I got one um, of my kids to download it. <laughs> for, for, all, for all 11 and a half people who are, uh, who've downloaded the podcast, okay. this is going to be a monumental needle thread on my part um, because I'm going to tell you what I believe. My opinion is probably going to get me in trouble with both sides of the aisle because um, as a person who at least tries to follow Jesus who does believe God is real and that we have a holy obligation to do a lot of things that sometimes run afoul of the popular world we live in, the, the pop culture. I'm going to say a couple of things that are going to sound completely contradictory, and I hope people kind of hang in there with me because I'm going to get to Alito in a second. Um, I actually believe and have believed for many years that Roe was built on shaky ground. And that's not just me saying that. That's Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying that. And Alito quotes her in this ruling. And I'll bet you that if Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive, she might have wished she would have rephrased things because you won't find a bigger protector of women's rights than RBG. And she is rightfully held up by women. And for all the things that she has fought for over the years, dating back into the, the 60s, uh, as a champion for women's rights. And so when Ruth Bader Ginsburg tells you that Roe was kind of on constitutionally iffy grounds, you have to take it seriously. And I did. And I have. That's not just the faith side of me speaking. That's the person who tries to look at these things and say, hey, I am a Christian and I am obligated to live under the constitution of this country. 
And there are going to be times when my faith is going to run headlong into that constitution, because like it or not, whether we think it was built completely on faith-based principles, there are things in there that are ultimately going to cause us conflict. We'll be standing up for Christ at some point, and we will possibly run afoul of something, some legal precedent as a result of that. Fortunately, in my life, it hasn't happened yet, but who knows? It could. So on its face, I believe that Roe was going to be overturned sometime. And with a six to, well, five to four majority in this case, with Roberts being the swing vote over to the uh, minority side, it was highly likely it was going to be happen here. And oh, by the way, the fact that Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett lied to your faces. No, incorrect. I, but we'll come back. Oh, sat there and said starry decisis and Gorsuch with established uh, precedent. Uh, you'd have to, you have to bend over backwards to not get the sense that these folks were just telling you what you wanted to hear. And everybody knew what that meant. Uh, I watched those hearings as closely as anybody. And every time that came out of somebody's mouth, I went, yeah, right. That's about number one. What are you going to do? Impeach them? They got a lifetime appointment. So they were going to say what they had to say to get passed and get done. But that's my, that's an opinion. That's not a fact. I just suspect that. But with this, with this majority, you knew it was bound to happen. It was bound to tumble. So you would think I'd be all kinds of happy about this because as a Christian, I don't like abortion. I do see this as a life matter. I do see this as a potential child. And when Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me, he's making a point, not about abortion, but about the care we have to put into the children that we are entrusted to protect. And it, it just strikes me from that perspective as a, a, a person of faith that I, I, can't, I can't just say I can't do abortion. I just can't get my head around that. That being said, I find this entire screed by Alito and whoever signs on to it as potentially one of the most dangerous rulings for the constitutional republic ever. And that goes back to things like Dred Scott and Plessy, which were horrifying decisions that were fortunately later overturned, which, by the way, gets to Alito's point about stare decisis, that this you can't just say it's present. It will never be touched. No, the, the Supreme Court does have an obligation and does have a responsibility to go back and revisit, maybe not throw out and mass, but certainly revisit bad decisions. But stare decisis means something more, which is that you can't just willy-nilly go throwing out decisions. There has to be a legal rationale for it. And you would think with 94 pages, 60 of which are you know content and the rest are footnotes, that Alito has made a powerful case for this. What he has done is he has so overblown on the antiquity of the abortion issue that he has completely overshadowed the pure constitutional issues that could have finished this decision in 10 pages. And as a consequence, he has 
thrown things in the footnotes and thrown things in the text that basically say not so many words. You're a woman, you don't got rights. Now, the right to privacy is nowhere in the Constitution. Show me where it's in the Constitution. It's nowhere in the Constitution. However, what you have are things like the Third Amendment, which is a weird one to bring into this discussion. But seriously, think about this. If the framers of the Constitution didn't have this concept of privacy in some form in mind, they would not have written, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner prescribed by law. So there's an, even in that, that one amendment that has absolutely nothing to do with this, this particular topic of abortion and privacy, there is a sense in the constitution that we have individual rights. The fact that the right to privacy is not enumerated is one of the key mistakes in Roe, that they did not build the, the foundation on something stronger than that. Uh, there are a couple of things, too, that I want to uh, just say real quickly, because we're going to be coming up to a break, and Andy got his introduction out. I'm going to get mine done here real quickly. <clears throat> uh, you raised a couple of the points, Andy. There are several uh, Supreme Court precedents that we've already talked about that basically say this could have happened at any time. Overturning a Supreme Court precedent is not unheard of. And in this case, certainly not unheard of when you look at how this, the court got stacked and how the the uh, the tenor in the states have been that have been under Republican control. This was going to be a court case at some point. Um, the fact that I find I find a lot of what Alito has done is kind of editorializing. And he throws some footnotes in here that are head scratchingly obtuse and so far back in, in antiquity that you go, yes, but talking about people who made decisions. Take a look at, at Matthew Hale trying witches. We, we're using him in this, this context as some kind of a, a touchstone for this decision and using him as some kind of a prop for all the laws. That, well, that should tell you right there that the laws of that time do not reflect the laws of a time where we understand this whole the whole nature of pregnancy completely differently. We understand beyond quickening. We understand that fetal viability is stronger now, further into uh, earlier in pregnancy, that we can now bring children into the world earlier in pregnancy and we can do so safely. And so a lot of these things that he has quoted are from a time and an age when women were property when blacks had no rights, when the notion of what constituted a viable child was different. Uh, and, and it was, he's quoting people who really, he should never have gone near. Uh, he could have made this case with far less drama and far less potential risk. And also, by the way, uh, far less risk of overturning other precedents that have come along, and I have several of those I want to mention, uh, not the least of which is loving. There are so many things that have been interpreted by the court in the last hundred years that are not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution that now are up for grabs, even though he says they are not covered by this ruling. Explicitly, he says that he otherwise lays the groundwork that says everything is fair game 
And there you go. We've just finished that first segment. Okay. Yeah. And I, I made a note of about, uh, was it three, four, five, seventeen, twenty-eight things I wanted to challenge you on. Uh, okay. So we'll yeah, this is going to be a robust one when we come okay. back. So hang on to your hats, folks. I think you're going to find this to be interesting. Okay. So we will be back See after this. So, Steve, uh, first of all, you said that Gorsuch and uh, presumably... Oh, no, you actually mentioned... Oh, wait. Uh, let me do the sound effect first. <laughs> this is the part where Andy lets the air out of my okay. <laughs> You said that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett all lied. Um, You're right. They I, did, I shouldn't have said that. They they did not lie. And however, there are many people, it's important to address this because I think many people all over America are really angry at them. Um, and I can understand that. So um, they didn't in, lie. In particular, I actually went over uh, a video of actually Alito's testimony, which is roughly similar to Gorsuch and everybody else's where they were asking him, it would have been, I think, Arlen Specter and a couple other people asking him about what do you think of Roe v. Wade? And he referred to it as settled law. And, um, and all of the justices did. But the thing about settled law is it has no particular meaning. As Alito argued in his opinion, um, he took stare decisis into account and he showed that the Supreme Court overrules itself all the time. Um, the fact is, it, it is settled law. All that means is that, that the Supreme Court has decided it, but the Supreme Court has the well-established authority to overturn settled law. So, so settled law doesn't really mean anything. And then so... Some so what you're saying is he was only being, you know, uh, duplicitously evasive instead of lying. As yes and no. no he, was deal okay. he was dealing in technicalities. Eh, like a which, lawyer would. He was being duplicitously right. and evasive. In, and he's in a room full of lawyers. Every senator in that room knows exactly what he's saying and what he isn't saying. I mean, Alito even said, somebody asked him, so in 1985, you know, you said that, Roe was incorrectly decided. Do you stand by that position? And Alito said, well, I just want you to know that th that was how it looked to me as, you know, as an attorney in the Reagan, he was working in the Reagan administration. And everybody's like, oh, okay. So the clear implication is that now he feels differently. He never said he feels differently now. He said, <laughs> and- is Hey, this, you're absolutely right. You're so, absolutely right. He was a duplicitously evasive lawyer. Okay. And so here's why. I love first, those two. First words, of all, do you remember Katanji Brown Jackson refusing to define what she thinks a woman is? So, well, I mean, similar oh, sort of. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ridiculous. Completely no. different thing. Oh, wait I, a minute. That's no, not okay, no, no, no. No, no it's not completely <laughs> different. What it is, is ducking the question. 
What it Hold is, on a minute. The, the, what, the, there's two different things. One is a legal, uh, one was a discussion of legal in a time when the Supreme Court uh, uh, confirmation hearings were actually moderately under control. Now we're living in an age where you're never, ever going to get ever again, unless unless God himself sends down an angel to tell the Senate to start playing nice, you're never going to get the kind of confirmation numbers that you once did, even for Alito. And so, you know, now we're not just talking about legal topics. We're talking about, you know, what is your faith? What right. wh- What is a woman? And we're getting into these things that go way beyond the bound of legal scholarship. And so, yeah, I think it's a completely different situation. Well, except I, that the definition of a woman may very well be a relevant point in a Supreme Court decision in the not too distant future. So uh, I think that that is potentially a relevant question. And she ducked it. And I'm not even really criticizing her for it because there's no right answer in that situation, just as Kavanaugh and Barrett and Jackson and every every Democrat nominee, basically every Supreme Court nominee since Robert Bork in 1987, who remember Robert Bork told you straight up that he was going to overturn Roe v. Wade, and he got rejected by the Senate. In a, 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 he was borked. He was borked. That started the term bork. And yep. that's that's when you attack a Supreme Court nominee, and every nominee since him has learned to dissemble uh, and to evade questions and to say a whole lot of very eloquent but nothing. Here's, and that's here's what the, the three guys did. Here's here's the, the thing that I want I want I want to underscore in why I have an issue with how Alito has gone about this, because this topic of stare decisis is a good one. There is a way that you as a Supreme Court overturn previous precedent. It is done in, in, in a properly functioning court. It is done in such a way that you do not call discredit on the court itself. It is done in a way that, you know, you can blame people outside for not giving the court the credit it is due for trying to be legally, stay, stay close to the law as opposed to letting all kinds of extraneous emotion and morality into the mix. Because let's be very candid, law and morality are not always the same thing. Law should be informed by a worldview that is morally based, but it is not always the same thing. In this case, Alito uses terms in this ruling that essentially call the legitimacy of the court itself into question. So in, for example, he uses this phrase, he calls out abuse of judicial authority on Roe. Now that's his opinion. That's not necessarily, I mean, that that's not like somebody can sit there and say, you know what? I can prove it was an abuse of judicial authority because you know what? They didn't listen to any facts in the case and they just went ahead and they did whatever they wanted to do anyway. No, there's deliberation, there's detail. Now you may not like the opinion, I didn't like the opinion, but that doesn't mean that it was an abuse of judicial authority. We, we, we have gotten to this point in our, in our culture. We are so comfortable with throwing these inflammatory words around that they're going to show up. If like this, if like this claiming that somewhere in, wait, like, inflammatory language, like claiming that somewhere in the opinion, Alito said that women don't have any rights anymore, which is what well, you just said about five minutes ago. I, I, well, I didn't, no, I didn't I, see what I was that trying in the to opinion. Say, what I was trying to say is that 
the way he has written this and the 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 authorities that he has used have made it such that you have to ask whether he is ruling constitutionally and saying you know what it kind of is irrelevant you 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 know we're going back so far in this that we are not proving the constitutionality of this anymore what we are doing is we're laying out a case that is going from a time when women truly didn't have equality. And that's really got to be understood in this context. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about whether abortion is legal or not, but whether what the what the impact of that is under the Constitution and how women fit into that. We live in a different time. And so to draw back to these people who in the colonial times were, you know, they were treating the women like second-class citizens. They couldn't own property. They couldn't vote. They couldn't vote until 1919. And so the question one has to ask is, what is the purpose in that? You want to focus on abortion. You want to focus I, on the constitutionality you, of that. Answer that. It's legitimate. Go ahead. He was not using <clears throat> the legal reasoning of those sources. The, the reason he was citing those sources is because Roe found that that the right to an abortion was inherent in the concept of liberty and as stated in previous cases any such right that is found in the constitution implied in the in the due process clause of the 14th amendment must be quote deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition so in order to show that it was not deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition, he had to do a survey of this nation's history and tradition legally. And so he did, and, and he covered this nation's legal history, uh, starting with the, the statutes when states started passing laws in the 1800s. Oh no, he went, but he went further back than that. And he went further back than relatively that. speaking, because relatively speaking, America really hasn't historically existed for all that long. Yes, he then went back further to the common law, because I think before the statutes were actually written, judges were using what was considered, uh, well, they referred to it as the common law, which is laws that were mm -hmm. enforced just because everybody thought that they were kind of understood. And Edward so, Coke. He, so he quoted all of the sources that were knowledgeable or that were used at the time as sources of common law, one of which was the guy that you mentioned, Hale? Hale, Matthew, Matthew Hale, Hale, Edward Koch. These are a couple of the names that, okay. of the, so, the people he invoked. This is So to try to say that that's not valid by quoting some of the uh, opinions, I mean, they clearly had a lot of thoughts that are way out of step with what we believe to be correct today. And uh, okay. but that does not undermine all he's saying is every source of common law, which includes this guy, that guy, this, and he names a bunch of them, mm -hmm. all of them considered abortion to be a crime. And so all he, but all he has to prove his, his case is still perfectly solid. If you leave those guys out of it, because but, all but he my has quest to prove is that there's no tradition of abortion being a right. But Mike, okay. And that's Okay. And he could have done that in about three pages. That is not the limit of what he's done there, though. And that's my concern. It's, it's one thing to say that there was no tradition of this. Now, you could argue for many other 
you can argue, actually, you can argue for Gorsuch because I've read some of his opinions. You can argue for other previous opinions. You can argue for Robert's opinions. You can argue for even some of the liberal opinions that they tend to, <clears throat> that they, they, they are reasoning through these things and they reach back. But you don't see this kind of reach back and this kind of, of washing away the fact that we're talking about women. I want to quote you something here, because I think this gets to the core of what my concern here is. He says, and I'm going to figure out which page it's on, but this is from this ruling. The regulate, quote, the regulation of a medical procedure that only one sex can undergo does not trigger heightened constitutional scrutiny unless the regulation is a mere pretext designed to affect an invidious discrimination against members of one sex or the other. Okay. Okay. He's quoting so, some previous some previous decision, I believe. He is. And yeah. so my point is this. You got a womb? I don't have a womb. Do you have a no. womb? No. Okay. So is this is is outlawing abortion, is rolling back Roe v. Wade, rolling back Casey, overruling Casey. Is it going to affect you or me in any way whatsoever if we were the father of a, a child? Yes. No. No, no. You said in any way whatsoever. Absolutely, it's, it's going to affect me. Sure, you can you can evade your uh, you can evade your uh, child support. You can run away, which millions of men do, hundreds yeah. of thousands of men do. But you are not carrying that child to term. Yeah. This is a sex based issue, and that is where I look at this and I say he evades these things by making the case that they don't matter. But what this is really showing us is that. It does matter because you, you and I, we have no way of knowing. I mean, you, you were you in the, you were in the delivery room. I'm going to guess for your kids, right? Yeah. I was in the delivery room for all three of my kids. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like, what it would be like to not have been there, to not have had that opportunity to hold those children. And that's part of what drives my, my sense that we need to do more to stop abortion. But we also have to be very careful how closely we will tread to that line that we men get what this is all about. And, and yes, women are fighting this fight too. Women are out there fighting this fight. This is, this is not just white middle-aged men doing this. Women are doing this. But there are other things that he quotes in here that are very dangerously like he quotes this bit about blacks, and I'm, I'm going to look for this quote here because um, <clears throat> here you go. This is a footnote 41, page 32. He goes after an anti-abortion talking point that has racial overtones. Namely, there was an amicus brief alleging that pro-abortion proponents do so to suppress the black population since most abortions are perpetrated against black unborn children. And he says, and this is Alito. And it is beyond dispute that Roe has had that demographic effect. Okay. He doesn't back that and he shouldn't back it. He shouldn't have even included that. What purpose does that have as a footnote in this brief? Okay. Let's, in, in, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that I look at and I go, okay, he's, he's, he's burning down the house. And, and keep it in mind again. Tell me again where in, it is. What page is it on? Page forty-one. Uh, excuse me. Page thirty-two. Footnote forty-one. Page thirty-two. Okay. And then he goes on and he says, "For our part, we do not question the motives of either those who have supported or those who have opposed laws restricting abortions." You can't. It's like walking up in front of the in front of the. Uh, you're you're stepping into the well, 
and you're cross-examining a witness and you got the jury sitting there and you, you, you've got a witness who's on trial for murder and you say to the witness, uh, you know, uh, so uh, tell me exactly why did you intend to poison your spouse? And the ju- and defense attorney jumps up and says, objection. And the judge says, overruled, or excuse me, sustained. That was out of line. You will disregard that comment, jury. No, they won't. The jury's already heard it. It's out there. And the question I have is, was there any purpose whatsoever putting that in there other than to pour gas on a fire and to open it up? My point here, Andy, <clears throat> and again, I feel like I got to keep repeating this. I was expecting this overrule. I was expecting Roe to be overruled before this. It's surprising me that it took this long. But this opinion has ripple effects in it that we have not even begun to understand. If this becomes, if this goes beyond draft to be real law, to, or correction, not real law, to overturn a previous precedent, it has ripple effects. And it's it's all throughout here. I'm seeing it elsewhere. Okay. I mean, I, I so see- I would like to answer the question that you asked, which was, sure. what is the point of putting that in there? Uh, the point of putting that in there is he had just talked about um, the way that the motivations of pro-life people are questioned, and he points out that the motivations of um, of pro-choice activists can be questioned with just as much validity. So we must accept the motivations of both sides at face value. That is a reasoned argument to me. It's a reasoned argument that is then undermined by the fact that he went and included that particular quote. He, he never... Why? He no, never should that, have even had to go there. Why did he go there? Okay, so why did he go? But there? you don't object to his including um, the questioning of pro-lifers. It, it it's irrelevant. What the pro-life? I I, I hate to put it this way. Wait. So why but, is it okay to include the explicit argument that the? motives of pro-lifers are suspect but no i'm saying neither of these neither saying should be neither of these should be in there none of that has any relevance the 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 motives of the pro-life or pro-abortion lobbies uh, pro-choice have no relevance to this motives they have no relevance if this is truly a legal argument if this truly a legal argument about the constitutionality of it of this particular Mississippi law that is up for debate and about whether it should be upheld or, or turned back, whether Roe should be overturned, it has okay. no relevance. No, and he, that's my he, concern. he's responding to arguments. He says another amicus brief relied upon the respondents, relied, relied upon by the respondents. So another amicus brief relied upon by the parties to the legal case tries to dismiss the significance of the state criminal statutes that were in effect when the 14th Amendment was adopted by suggesting that they were enacted for illegitimate reasons. So he has to answer the argument that statutes should be ignored because they were motivated for illegitimate reasons. And so then he has to address what those reasons were 
and speaking specifically so that, about Roe, ignoring the state, the state statutes. Yes, Roe. Yes, people involved in the Roe case um, tried to dismiss the significance of all of the anti-abortion legislation by saying that it was all motivated by racism or other well, or other offensive or um, illegitimate reasons. Okay. And and let's let's take a let's take actually, a step back. Said, there. Actually, he says fear that Catholic immigrants were having more babies than Protestants. And actually, I noted that. Hang on a second here. Let me find this because I had a note about that in here. When these okay, yes. Again, when these state statutes are being passed in the 1800s, the truth is Catholics were under suspicion. And yeah. the Protestants did control the state houses. Up, oh, time's up. We're all what? <laughs> and women again did not have the right to own property, did not have the right to vote, did not have rights to go into the legislature and argue their case. So again, yes, it's a legitimate question to say was there discrimination in that time? Um, well, okay, and let's take another step back. Again, the mores of the time suggested abortion was illegal. I don't think anybody's disputing that. Roe specifically disputes that. And that's why he spends so much time trying to establish it. Okay. I I will confess to you that it has been a few days since I read Roe. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say this. There are other spots in here where I think he, he just throws these things in the footnotes. It's not just in the text, it's in the footnotes where you go, okay, dude, why in the world would you bring this into the context? And, and yes, footnotes are important, but they should be legal in nature. Here you go, footnote 46, page 34, okay? He quotes from the CDC, 2008. The domestic supply of infants relinquished at birth or within the first month of life and available to be adopted had become virtually non-existent straw man argument here let's let's be very candid we now know that the incidence of abortion as tracked by the cdc is lower now than it was pre-row we know that the charts show it you can go to the cdc you can find it so what is he implying here somehow abortion is to blame for the lack of adoptable infants or that by forcing women to carry them to term will somehow satisfy the demand for adoptable babies you know, and, and going, even going after this with a racial undertone, it just, all of that together makes me go, dude, you have just poured a gas can on this. And, and any disingenuously, quite frankly says, we do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today, today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. <laughs> Either naive, wishful thinking, but this is a gas can. This is a gas can ruling. It could have been done more closely to a strictly legal fact-based, take the murderers and abortionists quotes out of it, which he threw in there. Take Matthew Hale and Edwin Co Edward Coke out of there, which he could have very easily done. Focus on the, the constitutionality of this. And yeah, you want to throw it back to the states, go back to the states. Guess what? 
New York's going to pass a law and say, we'll bus anybody in from Alabama who wants to come in and get an abortion. We now have a double standard in the United States where women in New York have more rights than women in another state. Women in California have more rights than women in Arizona. And so we have this situation now in the United States where there are clearly two classes of citizens, those who can afford to get to a state to get an abortion, those who can't, neither of which does anything to minimize abortion, neither of which does anything to improve the, the, the prospect that a woman would say, you know what, I can do this. I can carry this child to term because I know I'm not alone because I know that I, it's not just about getting the baby there. There will be somebody to adopt it, a good family to adopt it because I'm not going to go into poverty if I carry this baby to term because I won't lose my job if I carry this baby to term because I won't have to worry about the deadbeat father who skipped out on me if I carry this baby to term, but that's not who we are as a country. We don't do that stuff. We are this rugged individual country that says, well, you got yourself into that mess. So guess what? You're living with it. And I don't have any responsibility to do anything to help you. And we keep cutting back on welfare support. We keep cutting back on social programs. We cut taxes and we cut programs. And now we've got a situation where, you know what? Let's just roll back row. Let the misery continue. These are, it's not stopping these unwanted pregnancies, and it's these, not going to stop abortion. These are excellent questions for legislators to, con to consider when they are setting abortion and welfare or social welfare program policies. And, and I, You're right. I, I'm railing. I, I'm not railing at that point against the I'm not I, railing at that point against the the overturning of Roe so much as I am the fact that we Christian community, the anti-abortion community, we think this is a win. It is it's not. It's not a win. It is it a win. Is, it is not it, the win. I mean, the the fight, not even a fight. I don't know. The the effort goes on. But here's the th thing: I, I am discouraged by the sudden self doubt. Suddenly, the pro life movement is decrying. Um, the fact that this doesn't help women, we haven't helped women enough. I have never known the pro-life movement to be anything but something that included as a major component, perhaps the major component of it, helping women materially and otherwise. That it, There was um, a podcast I, I listened to very recently um, that interviewed five heads of different pro-life organizations and all of them when asked about their response to the overturning of Roe, all of them nearly immediately said, you know what this means? We need more than ever to increase our efforts to help women and families that need help. Um, and I'm not gonna dispute that. Here, here's, where I would, here's where I would challenge you on that. Um, I know of several individuals. This is the incongruity though, of where we are as Christians in this country when we line up behind political parties and behind ideologies, as opposed to saying, going back to the Bible and saying, you know, what do we do? That's great. Those five that you heard, fantastic. That doesn't accommodate every single person in this country. That doesn't cover every woman who has need. That covers women who can get there, who have that in their community. And as we now well know, throughout the Midwest and the South, hospitals are closing. Where's the neonatal care coming from? Where's the prenatal care coming from? For these women who are in these communities where the hospitals are vanishing 
because the health system is going away. The Christian community isn't doing anything about that because we can't. And so we have on this, we have this double standard where we are behind this principle of slash and burn on taxes, which has a ripple effect in terms of programs. And then we want to say, we're going to cover, we're going to, we're going to pick up the slack and we're going to take care of people, but there's no way we're taking care of all those people. We are only taking care of those people who we can see, who can get to us. And we are living in a time when we're, we're just, you're right. This is not an argument about this particular ruling. My concern here, <clears throat> it, my, my frustration with this ruling and my frustration with Alito is that it fails to take into account and it fails to give even a passing nod to all of those other systemic struggles that are now going to happen. And it's he basically wipes it away. It's not my problem. It's the state's problem. Well, guess what, dude? You just created more than just a problem for the states. You've thrown women back 50 years. Whether you or I like the notion that abortion is taking a life is, is somewhat second to the fact that you are essentially telling all these women all of that that you've had for 50 years goodbye struggle again i don't agree with it i don't agree with you know i don't like i've said multiple times i don't agree with abortion as a birth control method i don't agree with it i i just believe abortion is a birth control method bad idea it's it's amoral it's immoral from my perspective as a christian but it's also not solving the problems and uh this ruling I just feel, I just, as I read it with neutral eyes, not with somebody who's pro-abortion, but as somebody who's looking at it and trying to empathize with the, the people who it affects most, who are not me, but women and women in some, some who want the luxury of having an abortion just to get out of a pregnancy and they got the money and they, they think it's not going to affect them. And then a couple of years later they go, uh, wait a minute, that was a big deal. And it, it haunts some women. Um, but I look at I look at this and I go, he's just so blithely indifferent. Um, he's not. Don't don't. <laughs> now you're making personal attacks on him. I, I think. Well, I, I, what would you doing, would you say would you say that he his in job. any way he's would you say that he in any job. way says in this ruling in anywhere in this ruling? I I because I looked now I may have missed anywhere in this ruling did he did he at any time embrace the reality that some women do this because they feel trapped. I think um, I, I have a pretty nuanced response to that. First of all, the short answer is no, he did not. See? And secondly, I like that he didn't. I often, when it, it's not a Supreme Court justice's job I mean, his, he's only, as you pointed Care, out, he's careful. Only, you're about to go there. <laughs> as you pointed out, he's only supposed to be ruling on the constitutionality of the law. And these are important issues for the states to decide. Now, and I know so, and you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing. No, the, I'm not done, done with my answer. Okay, yet, so. go, go ahead. The go other ahead. thing is, I also um, tend to think this way. And, and so the assumption I often, when I'm reasoning through a complicated issue, I don't 
take time to state the emotional implications, not because I disagree with them, but because I think they're so obvious that it it's not, I mean, everybody agrees that women are going to need help. We're going to have to help them. I, I, I sort of feel like um, that's not at issue. The fact that I don't say it doesn't mean I don't believe it. I'm not saying it because I dis, it's not, sorry, it's not that I'm not saying that women need help because I disagree with that statement, but I'm not saying it because I think it's so obvious that it's not even, and also everybody else is saying it. They, it, it it's been said. He, we all, he, but here's the thing in this, in this ruling, he takes such great care, great care to emphasize the anti-abortion side. That there are several cases in here, and I've got many other footnotes in here where I can I can go. I, I didn't. There's about I have like six pages of these things, where he makes these broad brushstroke statements about the pro-abortion side. They can't justify. They didn't justify. They don't have an answer, etc. But then on the anti-abortion side, he has voluminous where some of it is emotional. That's my problem with this, Andy. He's got this double standard going. And because we, quote unquote, we evangelical Christians like the outcome, we're giving him a pass for the fact that he's doing other things in here that are setting this country up for further conflict, not de-escalation. There was going to be conflict anyway with overturning Roe. Let's be candid. There were going to be protests. There were going to be marches. There were going to be struggles in state houses. That was going to happen. I contend, and I and if we had another two hours, I could read you many of the quotes that to me kind of smacked of that kind of arrogance where it's, it's just... Do you know Samuel Alito? <laughs> Do you know his motivation for his writing? I honestly um, think... He may or may not be a man of good character. Roe was, but you Roe was no... egregiously wrong from the start. It's a legal opinion. Wrong. It, it was, and I completely agree with that assessment. And a lot of people but, do. But if you are writing this opinion to allegedly, as he's suggesting, try to fix some of the flame that's been going on for 50 years, you are not making a value judgment there. You, you it's either It was either wrong or it was not wrong. It was to say it was egregiously wrong is to take it to the Plessy v. Ferguson level, to take it to the Dred Scott level. I, I Those remember. were egregiously wrong. In this case, his legal opinion of a modern court is basically throwing it and saying, you know what, from this point forward, Supreme Court, say whatever you want about us because we can be egregiously wrong. He can be egregiously wrong. Anybody can be egregiously wrong. And therefore, you're setting your own court up to not be trusted. And he does this multiple times in here. And I look at it and I go, why would I ever trust these guys? They're nothing but a bunch of political hacks. And yet he and Roberts and everybody on that court and, and Thomas, they're all out there lamenting the fact that the court is not taken seriously anymore. Well, guess what? This is the kind of opinion that does that. You know, I am going to give you um, a point in that does make some sense that he can say they're wrong without trying. It does seem like using terms like egregiously wrong as much as I agree with it. That's unnecessary, and it unnecessarily makes the court look foolish. If you're trying to honestly correct a mistake, you can do it without 
piling on, which does sort of undermine the reputation of the court. I, I, I want, so I'll give you that point. I want to, Ding. again, <laughs> I want to again say One point. that <laughs> as far as including the emotional aspects, like I remember in the Obergefell decision that Kennedy wrote, there were all kinds of rhetorical flourishes and there were all sorts of emotional arguments about caring about people and which, and my response to that was, I was mildly offended that that was in there. Is it because I don't care about people? Absolutely not. It's because I don't need him to tell me to care about people. I don't need a Supreme right. Court justice to lecture me about how I should feel about certain things. What I really need from a Supreme Court justice is for him to explain uh, all the legal details about why certain things are constitutional and why certain ones aren't. So, I mean, I so Alito left all that stuff out, and I like it. I And, and, and I think we can agree on something here, because I, I haven't read Obergefell. I haven't gone back that far but we should we should look at citizens united sometime you want to talk about you know decisions that can be really picked apart that one can be picked apart because you ask yourself a question as an average citizen do i really think corporations should have the same rights as me with their unlimited budgets to influence the political spectrum and the answer is not always clear so we got there's plenty of other rulings we can look at but i think we can agree on one thing the the more you let a bleeding heart for either side into your rulings, the more you set up the illegitimacy of the court. Because what you're showing people is that it's not just about the law. It's about that you are letting yourself think right. about all right. of these other extraneous issues. And I just, that's where I'm kind of like, it's like I said, I'll say it again, because I feel like I'm going to have to repeat this six times in the comments section of our, our website of our Facebook page. I expected this. The Christian enemy is, is happy. Anytime we save a life, the Christian enemy is not happy though, that we live in the naive world that we think we're picking up all that slack because we're not. And that's where I go. We have to figure out how to navigate the next step here. Not just where we've been, by the way, we have one minute left okay. in our meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to take a quick break and then we can come back and we can wrap up uh, and, uh, you know, let everybody uh, have the rest of their night. So uh, stay tuned, folks. The fun ain't over yet. Welcome back, folks. Uh, if you're still with us, you just heard a really funny, fiery time, didn't you? I mean, that was just a load of laughs, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> I had a blast. <laughs> um, so now we're at the end of the show. And you know what? Normally we reserve time for like five questions for Andy or five questions for Steve. Tonight, I just have one. Uh, 
Okay. And this is the one that I want to see where we go with this, because this okay. issue of the right to privacy is a big one. It's one that's been yeah. around and it's been batted around and it's kind of at the core of Roe and the fact that, you know, Roe was set up with this implied right to privacy, but it's nowhere in the Constitution. So my question for Andy, as we come to the conclusion, the closure of our uh, little soiree this evening is this, is it time for a constitutional right to privacy? Like explicitly as in an amendment? An amendment enshrining the right to privacy? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, I think, well, when I started researching this case, um, I, I admit I didn't necessarily buy into the existence of a right of privacy, and I'm a little more open to it now. And um, it's noted, it's notable that this decision does not reject the right to privacy. It does reject specifically the idea that a right to privacy implies a right to an abortion. So as of right now, I think that the uh, the right to privacy, as you pointed out, implied by, um, was it the Third Amendment you said that you can't have soldiers? Well, yeah, I just threw the Third Amendment out there as an example because no. it, it kind of gives you the sense of what the Constitution was doing at that time when the framers were facing the issues of their day. Yes, and and the uh, argument in, I think it was Griswold versus Connecticut was one of the first, if not the first, um, Supreme Court cases that established the right to privacy. That one established that uh, you had a right to privacy that allowed, uh, that re that forbid states from banning contraception. But they argued that implied in the first, third, fourth, fifth, which is, you know, that you don't have to incriminate yourself. Uh, freedom of, of religion implies a certain privacy that putting all those rights together, you could sort of imply a right to privacy. And that's been pretty much accepted. So I'm going to say, I don't think you need one. Um, unless it would come under further attack. And like I said, I was sort of skeptical about the idea of a right to privacy existing at all, but Alito doesn't attack it here. And I don't know that that there would be a successful attack anytime soon. Do you disagree with that? Do you think that's going down next? I think Alito was quite smart about one thing. And I, well, I mean, it's clear he's smart, a smart guy. I think he specifically steered away from heavy analysis of the right to privacy because he knows that if he does, that is going to cause many rights to fall. Think about this. Think about all these rights that are not in the Constitution that we now take as, as uh, the law of the land, even though it's just, uh, even though they, they were as a result of Supreme Court pre precedent, innocent until presumed guilty. Miranda rights, interracial marriage. None of those things are in the Constitution. Yeah. So what else falls if we take the linchpin of privacy away? Um, so there, there's a whole, there's a whole lot there. And uh, Except I just that wanted to see what your thought was, because I think if, if 
this is where I think the Democrats, if they wanted to give the GOP real headaches, they would start a national campaign calling for a constitutional amendment enshrining the right for right to privacy. Because guess what happens? You want to talk hashtag strange bedfellows? Imagine the, the Michigan militia and AOC uh, being together on the same page. Because of the, the right to bear arms and the right not to reveal who you're associating with and all, yeah. Yep. Um, now, the, the difference, or one of the major differences, I mean, you mentioned the right to privacy does provide a foundation for Supreme Court decisions that made it clear that sta states can't deny they can't outlaw contraception, they can't outlaw mixed race marriage, there's a bunch of other things, but there's no particular movements trying to ban those things. I mean, certainly there, there were at different points. There is now in contraception. There are now these eh. extreme right wingers who are out there talking now that Roe is falling. The next thing they're going after is contraception. And that was that article I put up here about... Uh, yeah. What's his name uh, getting endorsed by Peter Thiel? Uh, da, 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 Masters. He's in uh, Arizona, is it? In Arizona. Yeah, you know, it's not going to pass in Arizona. I mean, I, I have trouble imagining what state would pass a law banning contraception. Actually, he specifically says he doesn't want to ban contraception. But no, but he does say he wants to overturn Griswold right. and that he linked Griswold with the ban on contraception. Yeah. Well, so although yeah. he may say he explicitly, I think he is being, what's that phrase I used earlier? Duplicitously evasive. I don't think so. I think what he wants to do is limit the way that Supreme Court, Supreme Court justices are creating rights. So he either thinks that there is no right to privacy in the Constitution, or he thinks that the right to privacy does not necessarily extend to get to cover contraceptive con <clears throat> to cover the right to purchase contraceptives but this is going to be different. it's going to be an interesting country it's going to be an interesting country i think that we are uh, we're looking at some interesting days to, uh, uh, I, i'll tell you it's very difficult uh, a large portion of america really doesn't want to acknowledge any sort of difference between state governments have a right to do something versus state governments should do something. I think a lot of people are going to come to the same conclusions you have, but I see it, you know, I, I really, I don't know, I'm nitpicky and into details that, um, that, yeah, that those are two separate arguments to me. Well, here's what I would say. Bottom line. And this is after you get done all the academic debate and all the emotional debate and the stuff that you and I have talked about tonight, it all does get back down to one basic tenet. And that is that it is all academic if we don't do something to keep our eyes open for people who need our help. Be ready to help. Be ready to be the person if you see the person who is uh, struggling with the unwanted pregnancy to show them there's a better way, show them there's an option, show them that they're not alone, help them get connected to the right resources, um, show them the empathy that doesn't look at them like a potential murderer, but looks at them as somebody who is, who needs help, who needs to know they're not alone. And uh, I think if we find our way back to that, and, and I'm not saying that a lot of Christians don't do that. 
You and I both know they do, but I think we need to do it more. And if we do that more, maybe we bring some healing in this moment instead of, you know, the, Hey, we won stick it to you. Uh, I think if we can uh, stop, hold our gloating long enough to show some empathy and uh, help uh, some of these women who now feel like they have just lost a huge right uh, to self-determination, right over medical procedures on their own body. If we can embrace them somehow and show them some empathy, maybe just maybe uh, we can take a little bit of this uh, burden out of what this is going to feel like this particular ruling when not if, but probably when it goes from being a draft to being a final decision of the court. That's a good plan. Um, we can always, like I said, I, my experience at the pro-life movement has always been that a major component of it, or if not the major component of it is to help people that need help. But uh, of course we can always do more and we can always do better. Um, and certainly I've encountered a number of people who uh, don't feel like that was their uh, experience of the pro-life movement at all. Um, the perception is out there that the pro-life movement is about condemning people and is about uh, limiting what people can do and about controlling people. Um, that's a shame that uh, that we have lived up to that. That should not be. I wish that wasn't the, the perception. Um, so yeah, helping is uh, something we can always do and, and should always do more and do better. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was another Don't Get Mad podcast with <laughs> two guys who, we, I mean, we, we, Got a little. we both get passionate. We didn't get we mad. No, we didn't get we didn't mad. We get mad. We get passionate. We get, um, uh, okay. We that get, being said, I know that for some of you folks who are listening to this podcast, there may be some triggers in here on either side. And if that is the case, you know, paying us, let us know in the comments, please. Let's try to, in the spirit of the podcast, let's try to keep things civil, but we would like to hear your comments. We would like to know what you think and uh, maybe even come up with some topics for future podcasts. We would love to have your engagement on that. So uh, thank you. If you are one of the dozen supporters of our little <laughs> excursion into madness, Tell twice weekly, twice every, once every two weeks, yeah. and tell your friends. But uh, thanks, and Andy, I will send it to you as I say good night and All good right. luck. Good night, everyone. See you next podcast. Thank you.